Hello, everyone. We are discussing with Sristi today about de-risking your idea through your strategy. Sristi is currently working on corporate strategy at Insight Enterprises, while um, she has previously worked at three startups with two successful exits. So she's here today to share with us her learnings on startup strategy. Welcome, Sristi. Hi, Spara. It's great to be here. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. (laughs) So startup strategy, could you tell us something we don't know and something that you probably have learned along your startup journey? Well, there's a lot I didn't know when I started. There's probably still a lot I don't know now. Um, I think one of the more interesting things I see when I talk to people um, is that every entrepreneur I see is trying to find the biggest market they possibly can for themselves, right? So I've actually talked to a lot of people on Growth Mentor. I've talked to a lot of people outside of Growth Mentor. And that's so common with early stage founders, right? They're trying to find the biggest possible market. So it's the most attractive to entrepreneurs and to investors. And I'm like, that's great, right? Look for the biggest market you can. But if you try to start with pleasing everyone, good chances you're not going to please anyone, right? So find a big market, but then decide what small portion of that market you actually want to target with your first launch, your first product, your first offering, and really focus on what is going to make it worthwhile for that small part of your market. Um, Facebook did this really well when they first started with their concentric circle theory. So starting with college campuses and then eventually expanding, you know, to wider and wider circles until, you know, third of the world had a Facebook account. They didn't start there. Whoa, this was a very, very strong beginning. I'm excited (laughs) for the rest of the conversation. So if we step one, uh, if we make a step away from the specific challenge that you mentioned, and we start examining the problems or the mistakes that startups do when dealing with their strategy, could you elaborate a little more on that? Uh, sure. So, you know, we talk about de-risking a lot, right? And and it's an interesting concept because when you think about strategy, the, the first thing that typically comes to mind is like, oh, I'm going to do these four things. This is what I'm going to launch. This is what my marketing strategy, you know, this is who I'm going to market it to. And all of that is great, right? But none of it fundamentally answers the question of like, where's the risk with your idea? And how are you going to test and disprove that risk? And that's a very different way of looking at how you want to build a strategy than, you know, here's my four-step business model and here's how I'm going to monetize and et cetera, right? So taking a step back and saying, you know, yes, it's great to have a business model and think through these different components and build your strategy. And, you know, there's that that sort of like lean startup business model framework. Uh, but then saying, okay, if I'm going to, you know, it's like, I'll actually use an example from my past. If I'm going to build a, you know, a mobile app that uses machine learning to help people train their dogs, what are the actual risks with that idea, right? That's actually one of my previous exits. But Taking that idea and saying, you know, here's my business model is I'm going to charge people a subscription. I'm going to build an app. I'm going to have it on Android. I'm going to do, you know, use word of mouth, go to shelters. That was all strategy. But it wasn't asking the fundamental questions of are people going to be able to train their dogs with a phone in one hand telling them what to do? Right. Is this an actually an app that we can build where we can have a progressive method that they can learn from? And none of those things required me building an app to test. Right. What those things actually required was me creating a, a stack of index cards with instructions on them and taking those that stack of instruction cards to the animal shelter and handing it to people adopting dogs and saying, hey, can you hold these index cards in one hand and 
flip through them and do these things with your dog and see how that worked for them. And so it was a very analog process, right? And it had nothing to do with my business plan, but it was a really important component of figuring out, is this idea even going to work? Is it going to work the way I want it to work for people? Or is it going to be intuitive for them? Do we need a voice component? Because they are having to hold something in one hand where we might need them to have treats in that hand. Um, And so going through that process and saying, okay, we're probably going to need some level of voice component. How are we going to account for, you know, what percentage of dogs didn't respond? How are we going to account for that? Um, so it was a really important process going through that, and it was really informative. So that's what de-risking means, right? Looking at what are the actual points of failure here, not just what is my business plan. Perfect. I loved how specific you became through this example. So moving uh, towards your approach, like how do you um, de-risk the project you're working on, on and w- what are the goals that you are tr- trying to meet in order to de-risk those? Right. So, you know, strategy projects, you know, in the corporate world are very similar to startups in, and the de-risking process is very similar, right? You say, I want to do X and then say, what are my failure points? And then how do I build experiments? You know, I trained as an engineer. I'm sure a lot of you are engineers who are listening to this. And even if you're not, you know, basic scientific process, you build a hypothesis, right? You say, these are my failure points. How do I design an experiment to test this failure point? Um, and then once you've done that, that's the kind of thing that you can take to investors and say, hey, you know, these were the three failure points that we identified. And this is how we proved each of those failure points it will, will hold up or we can surpass that failure point or say, you know, because of this, we learned and we want to pivot and, you know, do this to mitigate this failure point because we we've tested it. We've experimented on it, right? None of us go into it knowing all the answers. We have to go out and experiment and see what will work and what won't work. And do you follow any specific frameworks or methodology that you could structure in a few steps? Not one specific framework that I would point to. I I do honestly think the scientific method is kind of the best way to do a lot of these things, which is build a hypothesis test your hypothesis and be willing to change it after based on the results of that test, right? The more you go out there and actually test the things you're saying, the more successful you're going to be because you will have proof and that proof will lead to growth, right? That's how you get growth. That's how you get traction, right? All of those people that in all those shelters where I walked up to that shelter and I was like, hey, I have this stack of business cards. I want to help people train their dogs. Those shelters were the first people I went to when I said, hey, I have this beta program that I want to offer to the to the people who are adopting dogs uh, from you. They were like, yes, we love this. You know, we love being able to provide feedback on it. We loved seeing the impact it had on new adopters. You know, that's and, and so those that testing will lead to your market. Um, so that's that's really the best I can say is build a hypothesis, test your hypothesis and be willing to be wrong. Right. We all start come things because companies and ideas because we're super passionate about them and we really want to see them succeed. And we feel very strongly that there's a problem or there's a solution that we can create. Um, but you're just one person, right? I'm just one person. I have a whole list of ideas. And every time I talk to someone new, I bring up one of these ideas and I say, here's my idea. What do you think? Right? Because one, they're never going to be as passionate about it as you are. So don't worry about anyone stealing your ideas. Uh, and two, <laughs> you'll get feedback, right? And that's how you improve your idea. So um, seriously, I guess that you get you got started somewhere to start learning all of this. Would, would you like to share us 
the story about starting learning all this and then the failures you probably experienced before learning all this? Sure. Um, so I had a little bit of an unfair advantage starting out. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. So other kids grew up with like children's books, I would imagine. I grew up with those, you know, those little bit inf- uh, inspirational business books that you see lying around that are about the size of a children's book and about the reading level, but they're about business. <laughs> uh, so that's what I grew up with around my house because that's what my parents were reading, um, among other things. Uh, so I, I grew up with a lot of a lot of business books. Um, and, and that was a really interesting starting point. And then I learned a lot and, you know, really at the end of the day, the two things that were most important in in my journey as an entrepreneur were one, finding things I was passionate about, right? So solving problems that were relevant to me personally, that I could identify with and see myself as a customer for has always been a really important part of that because that's, where I learned like, this is a problem I have and I want to figure out how to solve this problem. Uh, And the other one was, as Spyro said, making a lot of mistakes. Um, uh, I have made many, 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 many mistakes. Um, I had a failed Kickstarter um, because we would have had a very successful Kickstarter and then did some very stupid things like uh, raise our goal far beyond what we actually needed to meet one specific need and it was just a terrible decision. Um, and that's also why, you know, having a Kickstarter was not necessarily the best idea for us because if we picked any other platform, it would have been a much better starting point uh, for this particular idea. Kickstarter is great for some things. Um, so we had a failed Kickstarter. Um, I probably made like 12 business plans that failed before they, before one succeeded. Uh, this whole concept of de-risking was actually something that I learned by joining a local incubator and practicing and talking to other people who were going through it at the same time I was. So what can you learn from from this, from all of this? One, pick something you're passionate about, right? It's going to make you want to learn more about it. Um, and then find other people who are passionate, both about that topic, whatever you've chosen, and about entrepreneurship. So I am part of an alumni organization called the Columbia Venture Community. And this, it's a community of, you know, thousands of of alumni globally who want to be entrepreneurs, are interested in entrepreneurship, are actively in entrepreneurship. And that was an amazing place for me to get advice, to ask people, you know, hey, how do I find accelerators? You know, hey, you know, how do I find a product design company? Hey, you know, where where can I get a logo? Hey, you know, how do I ask a lawyer about incorporation? Um, all of these questions, you know, yes, Google is your best friend, but just learning from other people um, is going to help you build that community that is so important when you're an entrepreneur to figure out what success looks like for you and then be able to go make it happen. Thanks for sharing your story. I guess the Kickstarter was doggo or... It was, yes. I found Um, it. Yes, it was, like I said, we were able to exit, but the Kickstarter, which is really sad because we raised a lot of money. We we raised like $65,000 in that Kickstarter. And we had, in our initially, we had planned to set the goal at 7,000 because that's all we needed at that point. That's all we needed. $7,000. And this is a terrible story. We thought we needed someone else to write the Kickstarter script for us. So we reached out to this branding company and we're like, look, we can't pay you because we don't have any money, but we'll give you a percentage of this Kickstarter. 
that we do. I'm like, we'll give you a percentage of however much we make. And they're like, fine, but to make our fee, you need to, you know, you need to get $75,000 because that was their fee. So like lots of mistakes. One, we should, we should have just written the script ourselves. It wasn't that complicated Two, you know, don't raise your end goal just to meet one need. <laughs> um, and three, you know, like focus on what you actually need for. Because if we we'd done seven thousand, it would have been an incredibly successful Kickstarter. We would have made like obvious, like you know, five times as much as we needed. It would have been a great way to start. Um, we found other ways to get it done, obviously, but you know that could have been a huge success story for us. And because of you know because of one mistake, it ended up being really not that. Thanks for getting into details. <laughs> Last question of the day. Any, are there any tools that you recommend uh, in general? Maybe for the process. Well, I really like Growth Mentor. <laughs> I recommend Growth Mentor a lot. Um, I, I, I've had such interesting conversations on the platform and, and it's been fantastic. Um, other tools. Um, I really like 99designs. Um, I've used... Uh, so 99designs is a... It's, a place where you can basically you can get a number of designers to submit their ideas for you know specific concepts that you're thinking about or if you want a logo for and I did that for Dago's logo um, and, and other things I've worked on since where you submit and say hey I want uh, I want a logo I want it to look kind of like this here's the here's my inspiration and instead of you know what happens typically where you have one you know you go out and find a designer and they'll give you a few ideas you actually get you know, ideas from hundreds of different designers who all have their own perspectives and their own ideas. So I think you actually get a much higher variety of ideas that you can choose from for a, a, a very low cost. So I really like 99designs for that. Um, and they there you can do like website design and like app design, a number of other things, but I particularly really like them for branding. Um, other tools that I really like, um, I really like Notion. Uh, you know, it's, it's more general tool, but you know, for organizing ideas and thoughts. Um, it's probably one of the, the better pieces of software I've encountered in, uh, in the recent past. Those are probably the two I would recommend that I go back to a lot. I mean, there's there's lots of different tools for different specific situations, but you know, starting out, like a lot of, uh, I in particular like to do a lot of things in an analog manner, right? Like to kind of see what what I can de-risk without spending a lot of money on it. Um, and so it's, you know, how do how can I be creative without spending a lot of money on this idea to figure out whether it's viable or not? Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to share all these experiences and stories with us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and that people listening to us learned as many things as I did. I hope so. Thanks a lot.